Hello, listeners of They Talk Sex podcast. This is our last episode for season two. Don't worry, I will be back in 2023 with new guests and topics and to revisit some topics from these previous seasons. You can see what I'm doing in the meantime, patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. It's just a dollar a month to support my hijinks, or you can give more. Otherwise, feel free to share old episodes of They Talk Sex or write to me if you have guest or topic suggestions. They Talk Sex at protonmail.com. Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the Sexual Freedoms Episode 2. Our guests today are affiliated with the Woodhull Freedom Foundation. You can look them up and we're going to learn more about this wonderful organization uh, throughout this episode and why it matters and what sexual freedoms are and why they matter and how you can help support them and fight back against censorship and uh, just uh, opposition in general. So the organization is woodholefoundation.org. And again, hi, I'm your host, Elle Stanger. I'm an ASECT certified sex educator and a longtime adult industry worker. Uh, real quick, before we actually start the episode, I'm going to have a gripe and say that my backup Instagram was shut down, speaking of censorship, <gasps> yesterday. With no warning, I know, gasps, no warning. I didn't get any flags, any notifications. Um, if you hear this in time, check out and see if at L underscore Stanger still exists, if they reinstated it or if it's gone forever. I have 30 days to appeal. This is what happens when people mass report your page and Instagram panic, so they just shut it down. <laughs> but luckily, you can appeal that stuff sometimes. So as you can tell... Some of us folks deal with censorship and opposition all the time. So hello to our guests, Ricky Joy Levy and Mandy Sally from the Woodhull Foundation, Woodhull Freedom Foundation. Hello. Hello, Elle. Hi. Hi. So as you listen to the episode or come back to it later, you can find at Woodhull Freedom on all social media platforms. You can find Mandy at Mandy underscore Farsace. F-A-R-S-A-C-E, and we will put that in the notes on Twitter. And Ricky is on Twitter at Ricky Levy, R-I-C-C-I-L-E-V-Y. And you can email them, Mandy at WoodholeFoundation.org and Ricky at WoodholeFoundation.org. So what the heck is the Woodhole Freedom Foundation? Um, can you give a brief history of the origin of Woodhole Freedom Foundation and its founders? I can do that, Elle. Uh, thanks for asking, and thanks for having us here today. Uh, it's always great to have an opportunity to talk about the work that we do, a little bit about our history, and to just touch on what's going on in the country. Mm -hmm. um, Woodhull was founded in 2003. Uh, it was a group of very dedicated, passionate individuals, of which I was one, uh, who believed that the framework needed to be human rights, not any one issue or identity or community, 
but everyone's human rights. And so we are a human rights organization. And our, our focus since 2003 has been on the rights of your body, mm. the rights to your body, to make decisions about your body. Um, some people refer to that as uh, bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a pretty broad umbrella. That's, that's who you have a relationship with, who you love, who you don't love, who you have sex with, who you don't have sex with. If you have babies, if you don't have babies, if you like floggers or if you like feathers. <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's a broad umbrella. It's reproductive rights. It's the freedom for LGBTQ plus individuals mm-hmm. to live the same lives that we who are not members of that community get to live. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah. Do you want to know a little bit about the things that we've done? Um, yes, I think, yeah, let's do that. And then I'll move on to the next one. We have over the years, uh, brought the human rights framework into a lot of the work that we do. For example, in Florida, they were trying to pass a piece of legislation to end shackling of incarcerated women in labor. Jesus Christ. Hard to believe, right? So just to clarify uh, real quick, because some people don't know this is a thing. So incarcerated women who are giving birth are still shackled or chained to yes, the bed? Or they are anything? because they're considered a flight risk. Um, I had the horrifying opportunity to talk to one of the sheriffs in Florida when I went down for Woodhall to lobby to end this torturous process. process. Mm -hmm. And he uh, told me that women in labor are a flight risk. And um, he he truly was a caricature of Mm -hmm. a Southern sheriff. The only Mm -hmm. thing missing was the disgusting chewed cigar. Mm -hmm. Um, But he sat back and he crossed his arms Mm -hmm. and he said, well, little lady. So we were already good friends. (laughs) Well, little lady. He said, I can tell you've never been in jail. I can tell you've never been in labor, man. That's exactly what I said to him. Yep. Yep. Fuck. So what we did was they, they really could not get this bill passed. That's why uh, the Florida ACLU called Woodhull and said, can you come down and testify in the context of human rights, mm-hmm. which is what we did. Um, to be fair, we couldn't have gotten anywhere if our allies on the ground hadn't been campaigning. Mm. But with their campaigning, we went in and framed it as a human rights violation. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time the United States was being uh, judged on the international scale for human rights violations. And I threatened, as if I had the power to do this, um, that I would ensure that this violation was brought to the attention of the international tribunal. Mm. Well, as we've learned over the years, Florida does not have a whole lot of connection with human rights. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so they didn't know that I couldn't have done that anyway. Oh, 
That's okay. Fake it till you make it. Yep. So now we were successful. Oof. Um, I understand horrifyingly that it does still go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and inmates are afraid to complain. Mm-hmm. And once they get out of jail, they're afraid to say something mm-hmm. because they're afraid of retribution. Mm-hmm. That all makes sense. Oh my God, I'm getting chills. Yeah, if you've never been in labor or pregnant or given birth, like, where, how are you a flight risk? I mean, 13 foot fence. Oh my God. Okay. Well, that's refreshing. Everyone get their coffee and their water. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, and then also, if this is too personal, tell me, tell me, but um, can you clarify your ages for context? And I'll explain why in a moment. Um, are these in age brackets? Like, sure. I think I'm I mean, you, ancient. You just had a birthday, Ricky. <laughs> I did. Right. I did. So I'm 76 years old. Okay. And I'm 31. Okay. So I'm 36. And when I heard little lady, I was like, Oh God, it never ends. Ricky, it never ends. I know. I know. It never ends. I'm like, at some point I'll age out of the misogyny. No, no, no. Good times. No, it's the kind of thing, you know, if you can't pass down money or brains, you can pass that down. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for broader uh, understanding, so Mandy, I'm going to move to you now. Uh, so what does your daily life look like related to your work? Yeah, so I don't think I have to tell any of your listeners that um, we are dealing with a lot of attacks on sexual freedom and human rights in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to specifically talk about the United States because Woodhall's work is only happening here in the U.S. Got it. Um, So I think that's important for people to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we're pretty worried about a lot of the things we're seeing. Um, Some of the things that have come up and and that we're really focused on in our work right now are related to censorship. And I'll speak a little bit more specifically to that later on. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're concerned about sexual censorship and how that affects our ability to um, express our sexual selves and uh, have sexual freedom in this country. We are concerned about access to reproductive care, right? I mean, of course, we all know about the Dobbs decision back in June. I don't, um, I do not. Oh, you you, mean Roe v. Wade impacts? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, right. So the Dobbs decision was, the court case was, I think it was Dobbs versus women's whole health was the case that effectively um, overturned Roe v. Wade. Okay. Um, so sorry. Yeah, I should, I should be more clear about that. Um, but you know, since that decision was handed down by SCOTUS, we've seen numerous States, um, pass bans on abortion. Um, and we've also seen those States try to pass legislation that restricts the way people talk about abortion, talk about reproductive health care, the way that people share information, Um, so that's one of the censorship concerns we're really worried about right Mm now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm really, really concerned about, concerned about the attacks on LGBTQ people in this country, particularly, um, trans folks, 
you know, we've seen a lot of states introduce bills that seek to criminalize parents for getting their kids gender affirming care. We've seen, which is just, I mean, I can't even tell you how mad Texas makes me because (laughs) Governor Abbott in Texas is sort of the one who um, in the springtime passed the first one of these laws. Um, And the law said, you know, that parents could actually have protective services called on them if they tried to get gender affirming care for their children. Ugh, so um, I'm trying not to cry. And just to interject real quick, um, yeah. one, of, one of the main suicide prevention tools for LGBT, but specifically trans and gender expansive kids, one of the best things you can do to prevent them from becoming suicidal is to honor their identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It is gender affirming care is life-saving healthcare, period. Absolutely. Um, And so when we see bills like this that are introduced, it is, um, it's infuriating. Um, And I will also say as someone who is a trained social worker who has to do a mandatory child abuse prevention training every single year, uh, a parent getting gender-affirming care for their child is not child abuse. I'm just, you know, um, it's, it's out of control. Um, and governor Greg Abbott is an absolute ding dong who just lies. He lies. Remember when he said that the Super Bowl is the single largest trafficking event in the United States and had no way to back that up and no evidence and then has never revisited it since, but that still made ripples for over a decade. Um, to say it succinctly, I am not a fan Um, I think that a lot of what has happened, um, recently has made me extra angry, um, because the legislation that he has enacted is actively putting trans people and trans kids, uh, lives in danger. And I'm just not okay with it. And, you know, personally, um, quite offended with his assertion that getting your child gender affirming care is child abuse. Um, it's it's just kind of exhausting to keep up with the attacks that he um, continues to leverage against the trans community. Um, and you know, also let's not forget that Texas, not too long ago, I think introduced was it SB eight which was a six week abortion ban. And this was pre the overturn of Roe v. Wade. So I don't think that governor Abbott has a very good track record when it comes to human rights or sexual freedom. So you and I, we three know that there's people out there in the world who truly believe that earthquakes happen because there's gay people that exist. So opposition like that is fairly obvious and pretty divisive. So what's smarter tactic wise is the approach that these organizations take is saying that they're actually trying to fight trafficking by abolishing access to sex work or porn. But they're actually anti-porn and anti-sex before marriage, anti-queer, anti-trans, but they don't come out and say that because it indicates their hatefulness and their lack of care. So what do you think about tactics like that? I think, you know, we see examples of legislation like that all the time, right? I mean, I think... FOSTA is a great example of a piece of legislation that says that it exists to prevent sex trafficking, but actually just gives the government this like very 
um, broad and far-reaching power um, to censor any sort of sexual expression on the internet. Um, so I would not be surprised, you know, if Governor Abbott had done the same thing. I think that's pretty textbook for a lot of this legislation. Um, you know, and I had a conversation with somebody recently about unintended consequences of legislation. And they said, I don't believe in unintended consequences. I think unintended consequences are what legislators say when a bill does exactly what they wanted it to do, um, but they just couldn't publicly say they wanted it to do that thing, right? So having um, legislation that disproportionately impacts marginalized people, well, a politician would never openly say that that's why they are proposing something. But we know that a lot of the legislation that we actively fight against at Woodhall related to human rights and sexually freedom, sexual freedom um, does disproportionately affect people with marginalized identities. Um, so yeah, not surprised that Governor Abbott would do something like that at all. Seems actually pretty um, typical of him and others like him because he's, you know, he's not alone. And that brings me right to the next question. Uh, what kind of opposition groups do you encounter and why? Um, let's see. Opposition groups. What's at risk right now is our democracy. This is what the real attack is about. Um, it is... The, the censorship that Mandy talked about, um, the drive to remove our right to vote, which is really what gerrymandering is about, uh, the othering of people, which is a tactic of every fascist regime, um, the, mm -hmm. the idea that some people are less entitled to the protections of society. Um, and the number of groups putting out these messages is absolutely staggering. Uh, there's a group, NCOSE, mm -hmm. that was morality in the media, um, which tells mm -hmm. you all you need to know about the group. Mm -hmm. And when did they change their name? Was that 2003-ish, the last? I believe that it was. I know they were founded in 1962. They've been around a really, really long time. Um, they fly under some of the most common flags uh, that defeat us in our advocacies. They fly under the flag of human trafficking, um, really all they mean is sex trafficking, by the way, they're not talking about agricultural trafficking or, um, domestic trafficking. They're only talking about sex, um, or protecting children. Uh, so let me be clear. Trafficking is wrong. So is abuse of any child. And those are both things that are already against the law. Mm -hmm. it's not like we need something else more illegal to make it more illegal. Um, so there's NCOSE, 
there are uh, the media publications that put out this erroneous narrative. Uh, Fox News. Mm. I would just like to see Fox News go away. When I talk to people on the right, and I do talk to people on the right, and I hear literally Al going from one person to another to another uh, in different conversations who all listen to Fox News and hearing the exact same phrases, the sound bites, the sound bites. Um, I, you know, we don't, we don't directly encounter at Woodhull um, harmful organizations. We respond to harms done by organizations. Uh, some of the things Mandy talked about are just haunting us every single day. Um, and, you know, as Mandy said, it's an onslaught. It, it is, we are playing whack-a-mole, if you're familiar with that game, where you hit a thing that pops up out of one hole, you hit it down and it pops up someplace else and you have to keep mm -hmm. finding where it's going to pop up. And it's exhausting. Um, <laughs> it is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, none of it is an accident. Mm -hmm. It's all of this is part of an absolutely brilliant strategic plan mm -hmm. coming from the far right. Uh, and the end results will be devastating unless people begin to grasp, number one, how vitally important it is to vote. Mm -hmm. and, and number two, that we can't just look at one incident, mm -hmm. uh, one law, one action. It, it is a, a multi-state strategic plan. Mm -hmm. Hey Elle, where did you train to be a sex educator? I went to instituteforsexuality.com. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, you can take their shorter program. It's new. It's called Sweet Sexual Wellness Education and Enlightenment Training. It's about half the price of their regular program and you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand. You can take it online. You can take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. Go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on on-demand programs. You can check out their other classes too. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the Sexual Freedoms episode two. We're going to go right back to talking with Ricky Joy Levy and Mandy Sally from the Woodhole Freedom Foundation. Right now we are talking about the trigger laws that went into effect after the Dobbs decision. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I know that when Roe was overturned, I, I'm probably making this number up, but weren't there 23 states or something like that 
who had laws on the books. Mm, it was like that would go into effect on the overturn. Right. I think it was, yeah, 19 or maybe 23. But the uh, what was it called? The trigger trigger effect trigger, trigger laws. laws. So they were already ready to go. You, oh, yeah, yeah. When the Dobbs decision yeah. you said happened that effectively overturned Roe v. Wade. They were like, all right, cool. It's our time. No more abortions for you. Even if this pregnancy is killing you, even if you were, you know, look, and the whole like in case of, you know, assault or incest, like if you are being and you know this, but like to listeners, if you're in an unsafe situation where someone in the family or the neighbor is the person who impregnated you or has control over you, like it is very, very, very difficult to prove this in general, but also to do so without absolutely disrupting your life. So to put that on a pregnant person and say, you have to prove that you're being raped in order to access an abortion. First of all, that takes a lot of time. And also you can lose your entire community if you're like, my dad did this or mom's boyfriend did this. You know, just give the person a fucking abortion, please. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, oh, one thing I want to say before we move on to the next question, um, just for time, because I, I we can make this, you know, this episode could go for two hours, um, but we only have one. So something that's really important to remember is that these opposition groups from the far right are very, very, very well funded. And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but they often are very well funded, not just from conservatives, but middle of the road voters and then even leftists who are tricked into believing that they're doing something progressive, such as supporting NCOS. Yeah, NCOSC. I see it all the time on Instagram where it's like self-identifying feminist women who are like, porn is bad and this is why. And I'm like, don't you know, you don't know this organization is anti-abortion, anti-sex before marriage, but they don't want you to know that. That's a bad look. So yeah, very strategic. They are brilliant in framing messages. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and, oh, I know what I was going to say before. It isn't just organizations. We're facing governments, just like the governor of Florida, the governor of Texas. It's not any more that you can just look at what harm an organization is doing. You have to look at what our elected officials are accomplishing mm -hmm. with the power of their office behind them. And then just off the top of my head, another group that is full of baloney and don't believe a word they say is Exodus Cry or Fight the New Drug. Uh, yeah, I think it happens all the time. And I think, unfortunately, it's super effective. Um, if you were to go on, uh, Nicosi's website, that's an acronym, it's N-C-O-S-E, you go on their website and they're advertising a conference that they're putting on. And the language they're using is prevent sexual abuse, prevent sexual assault, come to our conference to learn how to, you know, um, keep yourself safer in society. Um, now, that conference is not about any of those things, really. Um, it's about shutting down porn. Mm. It's about shutting down people who want to be able to express their sexuality freely, even if it's not in an explicit manner. Um, for example, maybe a sex educator who wants to talk about, you know, sex education that's not maybe related to intercourse, um, just as an example. Um, 
but their their language is really one loaded right like sexual abuse that like that that term packs a punch it makes you feel something um and it's pretty universally understood even if you don't technically know what sexual abuse means you know in the law you know that it's not a good thing generally right the general generally joe schmo walking around would hear sexual abuse and know like that's bad and we don't want that and so those organizations are really good at leveraging that kind of language um you know and one of the things that we try to do is like get on their email lists and it's not hard. I shouldn't say we try to do it. We sign up just like you would sign up for anything else um, just to sort of see what they're saying. And I'm getting a lot of emails that are like um, protect your, you know, traditional family um, or be a good faithful citizen. Um, And all of that is very misleading and very persuasive. You know, and if you're somebody like the average individual who gets, you know, tons of emails every day and you're totally um, like overwhelmed by all of these messages you're getting, the ones that are short and ha- give you sort of a visceral emotional reaction are the ones you're going to pay attention to. Um, and that's what these organizations and these groups are really, really good at doing, you know. Um, And then that extends to how they name the legislation, right? I mean, the full name of FOSTA is Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Fighting. Thank you. I was like, I was like, F, what does the F stand for? Even though I've talked about this a hundred times already today. Um, Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, who, who is going to say that online sex trafficking is a great thing? And let's do that, you know? Um, in, in the UK, it's the online safety bill. We all want safety when in reality, um, what a lot of these bills do is make life significantly less safe for a lot of people who are actually affected. And, you know, I will say one of the areas where our movement suffers is that a lot of our issues are not that easy to tie up in a bow in that way and i think that we are a movement of people that really care about helping one another and supporting one another and we care about facts and truth and um the other side doesn't care as much you know what i mean they have a goal that they want to reach and they're sort of willing not sort of they are willing to do and say what they need to do to get to that goal um And that's, you know, it's made things a little difficult for us in the progress department. Okay, so looking at the website, and I really encourage people to uh, do this and to try to parse through the media and see what is uh, one of these things is not like the other. Actually, many of these things are not like the other. So we have child sexual abuse is listed next to pornography. Um, Hey, I make pornography. I'm doing a webcam show tomorrow with my partner. Should be fun. Hopefully we make several hundred dollars and the internet signal doesn't crap out. Okay, we have that next to sex buying. Uh, Next to it says trafficking. Um, We see um, someone holding up a sign that says love shouldn't hurt, which yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, 
Yeah. So really what they're doing is trying to make the argument that every adult or sex work engagement hurts people. And that's just absolutely not true. Right. And you know, the other thing you want to talk about exploitation. I think one of the dirtiest things that they do is use images or clips of actual victims of exploitation or trafficking or abuse and they throw it next to a donate button. <laughs> um, you know, you want to talk about exploitative behavior and tactics. Well, there you go. Um, mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think that they're just, they're just, they play so dirty and it's so harmful to people. Um, but it's packaged really nicely. Um, and so if you're not willing to do any of a little bit of critical thinking, um, it's very hard to actually see what they're doing. And you know, another thing is one of the ways in which those of us working in the sexuality field in general um, try to market ourselves is through ads, right? Facebook ads, Google ads, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of folks working in this field are not able to use those tools because they're told that they violate the terms of service or, you know, whatever the case may be. Well, guess what? Nicosi has no problem. And so they can go in and buy millions of dollars worth of ads and get their message out to a whole lot more people than we can. And so, you know, the other thing that's really frustrating is the playing field is totally uneven right? We're starting so far behind from where they are in terms of resources. And we don't even have access to a lot of the tools they do because of censorship efforts that they've led. Um, it's very tricky. And a lot of people don't know this, but Facebook and Instagram, which is owned by Meta, says in their terms of service that language about harm, abuse, violence, exploitation is allowed, but language about pleasure, arousal, sexual gratification is not. So what does this normalize culturally? I feel like it encourages people to talk about abuse mm -hmm. and harm only, mm -hmm. and I think it really pathologizes sex and prevents us from seeing positive info about it. Yeah. Okay, so... Let's move on. Um, can you explain what the Earn It Act is? That's been going around for a couple of years, gaining mm -hmm. momentum. Yeah, so the Earn It Act was introduced, actually it was just introduced last session uh, in 2022. Um, feels like it's been around for a while because we're talking <laughs> about it a lot. Um, but the Earn It Act stands for the Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies Act of 2022. Um, quite a mouthful. Um, and the Earn It Act takes FOSTA like th that much further into a bad place. Um, there are two pieces of the Earn It Act that I'm particularly mm -hmm. concerned with as both human rights violations and just bad policy. Um, and the first one has to do with surveillance. So um, I'm going to try to make this as like easy to digest as possible. Um, but I do sort of have to talk about like the internet and technology and sometimes that gets a little confusing. So, um, so, uh, let's talk about encryption, right? Cause that's what this piece of, of the mm -hmm. Earn It Act would deal with. And I want to be clear, this, this piece of legislation has not passed. 
and uh, we at Woodhall do not want it to. Um, but if it were to pass, part of what it allow it would allow is for social media platforms, websites to use artificial intelligence AI to scan content for CSAM, which stands for child sexual abuse materials. And the particular reason why this is bad is because it would allow platforms to scan content prior to it being sent via an encrypted message. So a lot of people like to use messaging apps that offer encrypted messaging to protect their privacy, you know, protect their communications. Well, the Earn It Act would allow a platform to scan any of the content you're sending prior to it being sent to its intended um, mm. person. And um, talk about that surveillance. Is a huge privacy. Yeah, 1994. Right, exactly. It's like, right, we're going to look at all of your stuff. And then what it says is, okay, Ooh. but we're going to send it encrypted. But my thought is, if you're looking at it ahead of time, why do I care that you're sending it encrypted? You're already looking at it, right? Um, so it's surveillance, it's a privacy issue. Also, it's a problem because AI mm. is not a person. You know, this is uh, an entity that is scanning for CSAM. And um, because of laws like FOSTA, because mm. of proposed legislation like Earn It, platforms are concerned about what people are putting on them, right? They don't want to go down for whatever illegal material you might put on their platform. And so they are searching for stuff that far and wide mm -hmm. exceeds CSAM. Um, and so I think when you cast a really wide net, you're going to catch things you don't intend to catch, right? And so I think if this were to pass, you're going to see a lot more limits on sexuality content in general, because the AI is just searching for anything that could possibly remotely be CSAM. So that is problematic, in my opinion. Um, the second piece of the Earned Act that is problematic is that it would establish a committee of elected mm -hmm. officials to write best practices for content on the internet. Right. <laughs> yes. The reason I, that this is problematic, that, that statement in itself maybe doesn't sound so bad, but a couple years ago, you know, we watched as Zuckerberg and the other big, uh, you know, CEOs of these tech companies went to Capitol Hill and had to testify. And, you know, it was funny to watch these elected officials ask them about the internet and technology mm -hmm. because it was very mm -hmm. clear that our uh, Congress mm -hmm. people do not know how the internet works. And so I do not want those people writing the guidelines of what best practices for the internet should be. Um, and so that is really the problem with the Earned Act, mm -hmm. and that's why we do not want it to pass. I also believe that it would be a First Amendment and Fourth Amendment violation. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's mm -hmm. bad news. It's bad policy all around. Um, and Woodhall has run a petition um, to say no on the Internet Act, which um, is probably going to be closed by the time folks listen to this, but will hopefully be in the hands of our elected officials. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and hopefully we'll, we will not see this pass because I would like to 
see this legislation defeated ahead of time rather than have to fight against it once it has already passed, mm. like what we have now have to do with FOSTA. Hmm. Thank you for explaining all that. Okay, so imagine who's going to be writing these guidelines, say that this passes, earn it, which we don't. Uh, can you imagine how conservative some of this language might be? You know, say goodbye to golden showers or blood or face-sitting or fisting. I believe face-sitting was banned in UK porn a few years ago, claiming to be for the protection of women who might be degraded. Um, so which people, which musty, dusty, crusty people might be writing these, you know, guidelines for our so-called protection. But which people are currently censored already by FOSTA and SESTA? You and I already know this. Right. Well, the people who are likely to be censored are the folks doing anything related to sex online, but it has had, I think, the most direct impact on sex workers working online. Um, I can't even tell you how many people I have talked to through my work at Woodhall who have had their accounts taken down, um, or they've been, um, shadow banned, which, you know, I don't know if folks are familiar with what shadow banning is, but attention, uh, essentially it means that the platforms are pushing your content via their, their algorithm to a place where, very few people are actually seeing it. So if you are somebody who relies on your internet presence and your followers to make a living and you get shadow banned, that has a direct impact on your ability to feed your family, pay your bills, live your life. Um, and so that's, that's who has been affected. You know, we have seen um, anecdotally a lot of people say I don't have as many followers as I used to or I got kicked off Instagram or you know I work with an organization um, that has a podcast all around swinging and non-monogamy and they have a TikTok that was really really popular they've lost their TikTok account 18 times um, and you know the really frustrating thing is you know every platform is a little different in terms of how they moderate these things but on TikTok all it takes is for somebody to report one of your videos you get reported enough times TikTok just deletes your account um and so you don't even have sort of like you know you can appeal but you know what i've heard is it's kind of 50-50 whether or not you actually get your account back um and, and, you know, that kind of discrimination is not um, replicated in other industries. You know, um, if you're somebody not doing anything related to sex or sex work, you're not having these same issues with your account being taken down or shadow banned or whatever. Um, so it's a real problem. Um, Woodhall is uh, currently working on research with... Um, CUNY Hunter to study the effect of deplatforming on sex workers and their livelihood. Um, they're collecting data right now. We hope to have, you know, that research in the next year to actually say, like, listen, these are the actual effects. Um, there's also a group called um, Hacking Hustling mm. that has all sorts of resources on their website about um, the effects of SESTA-FOSTA on sex workers. Um, and I would encourage folks to really check that out because they can learn a lot um, about what's happening and what has happened 
since the passage of Sesta Foster. And also AI is wrong. So if an AI bot is going to be scanning my material, like it's going to get it wrong sometimes when it thinks it's looking for things. We'll talk more about that later. Right, right. You know, it's it's worth noting that without the freedom that we've had on the internet, there would be no Black Lives Matters. There wouldn't be, there would never have been an Occupy Wall Street. Um, we wouldn't have the information we have about what's going on in the rest of the world where regular communications are shut down. So the core issue is censorship and what our commissions do by collecting and presenting testimony from people who are impacted in different ways by that core issue. We, first of all, showed the broad impact. We spoke earlier in this program about unintended consequences or unanticipated consequences. When you push here, it comes out there. Um, when you censor the internet, it impacts sex workers. It also impacts schools. It impacts libraries. It impacts people with disabilities. Um, and, and so these human rights commissions show the vast uh, impact of any negative human rights uh, action. Mm. And so this past commission, as I said, was on censorship. And we had a librarian, we had an author, we had uh, a, an adult performer. Um, we just had a wonderful, we had the young man from Florida um, who wasn't able in his valedictorian speech to say that he was gay. And so he used a euphemism and talked about the fact that he has curly hair. <laughs> So he wow. came and testified about what it was like for him to find out that he couldn't speak openly at his graduation. Um, and we have commissioners and the commissioners are, um, we, we try to have the commissioners be people in power or with access to power. Mm. So a legislator, the head of an organization, working on this issue who may not be working with all the other communities we're bringing in to the space. Um, it's a very exciting program for us. And we're, we're actually going to launch a virtual series uh, in 2023 that will focus on censorship wow. and the impact across everything. Oh, wow. Because that's such a big issue now. Oh. That is assuming that the internet is still free. Wow. Well, that yes. is great to hear. Okay. So this seems like a perfect time for me to tell folks that, um, so I'm currently president of the Oregon Sex Workers Committee. You can check us out, uh, OregonSWC.org. And yeah, honestly, that's just what we've learned is like, if we want to get stuff done, we have to build coalition with people who have common goals, but different reaches and positionality. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, yeah. Thank you for sharing about that. And again, reminder to check out woodholefoundation.org. 
Yeah, God, our first uh, Human Rights Commission event in Oregon was July 17th, 2021, and I think it went for almost four hours of people testifying. Yeah, as you know. The recording was actually four and a half hours. Yeah, that was a big one. Um, Yes. I haven't sat at a table in a blazer with an updo that long ever. I don't usually, I don't usually do these respectable jobs. Um, that's not true. Uh, okay. So let's do some listener questions. Listener question one, someone asks, how can I identify organizations that are unethical? So in this case, we mean human rights violations or defrauding their audiences or donors? Can you name any examples? I can. Um, So the easy part is how do you check? Um, There are a number of websites that you can go on to to make sure that the organization you're trying to support, uh, assuming you want it to be a 501c3 nonprofit, uh, to make sure that they are registered that the government does recognize them. Uh, The IRS allows you to search and make sure that an organization really is tax exempt. Um, And and we like CANDID, um, C-A-N-D-I-D, which used to be GuideStar. Mm. Um, Organizations that, that defraud donors, if you just do a search for the organization on Google, you're going to find something if they did. Um, hmm. You know, if you looked up, you asked about an example. Mm-hmm. Um, this has nothing to do with sex, but if you remember uh, in 2020, the uh, We Build the Wall mm-hmm. online fundraising campaign. I don't. Uh, but- that hit the news hard. Donald Trump and the hundreds of thousands of dollars they defrauded. There are organizations that fly under the radar. um, And the best way is to go ahead and do a search. Okay. Hmm, Damn. Yeah, 2020 was a hot year. I have to be like, wait, what was going on? (laughs) So many things. Yeah. Yeah, especially in Portland. Um, I still have people asking me, like, were you okay during the riots? And I'm like, oh, you mean the protests? Oh, baby, I was out there. (laughs) (laughs) Like I actually, so we were out there, uh, me and my friends basically, um, helping people wash their eyes out after they got gassed and targeted uh, for violence. And I saw some footage and of course we were masked and concealed because, you know, surveillance and, and cops and the media. And I'm so glad, um, because I actually saw footage that someone had recorded of me and two of my friends, one who's now deceased, RIPV, you were a real one. Um, uh, utilized on Fox news channel, but like oh edited it selectively. <laughs> they showed oh us kicking back a gas canister at the cops who had thrown them at us while we were <laughs> just standing there in the first place. Oh God. Anyway. Yeah. 2020 was a wild year, but okay. So back to, all right. Thank you for those examples. So listener question two, I know you said we're going to focus on the U S but if you have anything about this and we'll uh, include that, Someone says, I'm in the UK and I heard of something called the, quote, UK online safety bill. Do you know anything about that? Well, I know that it's still in review. Okay. Um, and and it's, it's similar 
to what's going on here in the United States. It's subjective standards for censorship. Okay. So it is similar and it's probably dangerous in these ways. Okay. Next listener question. What is the Safe Sex Worker Study Act? Yeah. So Safe Sex Worker Study Act was introduced on the anniversary of the passage of FOSTA, which was in March, I believe. And what it would do, April? Okay, April. Um, April 2018. I was close. (laughs) I'm very bad with dates. Um, So it was introduced by Senator Elizabeth Warren, um, and it would create funding to study how this has federal funding. That's that's a key word there. to study the effects of SESTA-FOSTA on sex workers. Um, It would be really an amazing bill to pass um, because a lot of times when you're advocating, right, and you're lobbying, these elected officials wanna see like, what's the impact, right? And so if we could have funding, and I don't mean me as Woodhall, I mean we as a community, um, could have funding to study these impacts, it would make all the difference um, in being able to then lobby our elected officials, you know, to have hard data to say, hey, this is what happens when SESA-FOSA was passed um, would be really crucial. So, you know, we know that we shouldn't need that, right? Because our stories should be enough. Um, But in the world of politics, it does help to have uh, black and white numbers on paper. And so I would encourage folks You know, if you are looking for an action item, if this is something you're really passionate about, call your elected officials, uh, call your senators, call your representatives and say that you support the Safe Sex Workers Study Act. Um, It would be really a great thing. And also, you know, in this work, so often we are calling our officials to tell them to vote no on something, right? Like the Earned Act or FOSTA or whatever. So this is a chance for you to call your officials and say, please vote for this. Please support this. Um, It's a nice change of pace. I found it was when I got to call my officials and say, hey, I want you to support this. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw an article shared recently about a bill proposed by uh, some male uh, politicians in France, which doesn't make it bad. But the comment from one of the male politicians was that porn, quote, grinds women down. And I'm like, bruh, I make porn. Like, don't talk about me like that. You know, just these broad strokes, like assuming victimization does so much, so much damage. Um, Okay, so listener question three. Did your organization see any impacts of FOSTA and SESTA? And then I personally remember reading that St. James Infirmary Clinic out of San Francisco, which is peer-based support for unhoused and sex workers and survivors and other folks, they received a 170% increase in requests for services immediately after it passed. So did your organization see any impacts or ripples of FOSTA and SESTA? Yeah, so Woodhall has been really fortunate in that we have not, you know, we have not lost any of our social media accounts or, um, you know, to my knowledge, I don't think we've been shadow banned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we work with so many people who have had this affect them. Um, And one of the people we had testify was Lotus Lane, who is a well-known adult performer, sex worker, and she spoke so passionately about how Mm -hmm. when her um, 
you know, Instagram got taken down, her Twitter got taken down. She lost huge um, streams of revenue, right? Which made it hard to feed her family and hard to live her life, um, which I sort of alluded to in our last question. And I would encourage folks to check out um, the recording of our Human Rights Commission. You can find it on WoodhallFreedomFoundation.org or on our YouTube uh, page, Woodhall Freedom Foundation, because Lotus gives such a moving and honest and real um, testimony of how this affects her life and affects many of her peers' lives. So, um, you know, I think that Woodhall, like I said, has been lucky. And I also feel that um, our time is probably coming which I hope does not happen, right? We're, we're an advocacy organization, but it just feels like this is so, this censorship and discrimination is so widespread um, that it will touch us all pretty soon. You know, I want to just answer in addition to what Mandy said. Everything we see happening on the platforms, the increased review of content, the people being deplatformed, uh, that really is all a direct effect of sesta fosta mm-hmm. um, and it's going to increase drastically if we are not successful in our lawsuit to overturn this act that is truly unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we also, uh, in addition to the Safe Worker Safe Sex Worker Study Act. In addition to the act that that Mandy just mentioned, um, we have been able to fund a study with CUNY and John Jay College Mm. on the impact of deplatforming on sex workers. Uh, So we're very excited about that. And that uh, we'll have the results of that within a year. Oh, that's wonderful. So that'll be very useful in combating some of this legislation. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, good. Thank you for including that. Um, Okay, so listener question four, before we take another quick break, what can I do to oppose sex negative or anti-porn legislation as a voter or non-voter? Oh, that's easy. If you can vote, vote. Um, If you're a non-voter, you just discussed it, Al. Mm-hmm. Make your phone calls. Support the people supporting the outcome mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, everything helps. It's going to be really multi-pronged attacks. Right. If calling and talking to a live person makes you nervous, call after hours. You know, like call 8 o'clock at night, get a voicemail. Um, or, you know, there's a tool that I used to use. I haven't used it in a while, but it's called resist bot um and you're able to like text and it'll tell you it'll like write the letter and send the email for you right to your officials it's pretty cool so um there are like all sorts of tools out there for getting in touch with your elected officials um email fax you can send a letter if you want um yeah absolutely tweet them mention them on facebook i mean they're all out there Mm. right i mean they are public figures and i think we forget sometimes but they are technically elected to serve us um it doesn't feel like they're serving us a lot of the time but um 
we are technically their bosses. And so, yeah, communicate with them. And I also am always interested. I like to send an email because nine times out of 10, you will get a response to that email. And, uh, you know, it's normally a form letter, but it will tell you exactly how your official feels about that particular issue. Um, and you know, I, I always like to see like, what's your justification for not supporting something I want you to support or, you know, vice versa. So, um, yeah, it's always, it's always good to just sort of communicate, reach out. Um, and a lot of times also, if there is an organization pushing something, um, there are so many organizations now that have tools where you can just go on and put your name in and, and they essentially do everything for you automated. Um, so good to just stay involved. And, you know, if there's an organization you like and does work that you believe in, sign up for their email list so that when there is an opportunity for an action alert, it's, you know, a couple clicks for you to participate. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Uh, share this episode even. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay, let's take another quick break. Uh, Go to woodholefoundation.org. Thank you so much, Ricky and Mandy, for being here. You can email them, mandy at woodholefoundation.org, ricky at woodholefoundation.org. Please don't waste their time. They're so busy. Uh, I have great listeners here. I appreciate you. My name's Elle Stanger. I wake up every day (laughs) and check on social media to make sure it still exists. Uh, I also have nightmares about being stalked and murdered. So that's why I'm a little dragging ass today. I know I, I have two different locks on every single door. I have bars on some of my windows. I have two different alarm systems. Um, and yeah, I won't even go into the detail with the stuff I face from being like out and open about some of these things, but I understand why people don't want to do organizing or activism, especially when they're already being punched down upon or oppressed or marginalized. And I have more privilege than a lot of people in the sex industry. So that's why we do this show. So thanks for throwing a good rating or review when you can or sharing this episode with your conservative family members this holiday season (laughs) or anytime. Did you know that Monistat and Vagisil can make your vagina so much more unhealthy and actually make it burn? So instead, I recommend Momotaro Apothecas, salves and oils. Check out their products. I even use it to prevent razor burn because I shave pretty often down there. Use code STRIPPERWRITER. Hey, that's me for a discount because I love talking to small business owners that are creating better products for our bodies. Welcome back to the Talk Sex podcast. We're going to dive right into talking about how AI can make mistakes and there is an article I found published August 22 of 2022. This is the Sexual Freedoms episode number two. We're speaking with our guests from the Woodhull Freedom Foundation. So the article uh, is on a website called petapixel.com. I'm unfamiliar with it. Um, someone called Matt Grokut wrote it. Google flags photos of father's sick son as child abuse and informs police. So... Okay, so what were the photos? So the article originally published in the New York Times 
says that a man who his name used here is Mark. He was investigated over photos he sent to a doctor because his son had developed an infection in an intimate area. It says we're going to assume this means genitals. (laughs) (laughs) Just say it. It's genitals, people. Um, So they probably couldn't say it because it's a child. Right. Right. Don't want to get flagged. Um. So it says Mark's son was ill. An online consultation was scheduled because of the ongoing pandemic restriction on in-person meetings. A nurse asked the boy's parents to send photos to the doctor in advance, which were uploaded to Google's cloud. Um, So a human content moderator for Google would have reviewed the photos after they were flagged by artificial intelligence software to confirm that they met the federal definition of child sexual abuse material. Um, So Mark lost his Google account. It had been disabled because of, quote, harmful content. He appealed to Google, it says in the article, but he had lost access to his emails, contacts, documents, and phone contract. And the San Francisco Police Department started their investigation. So it says several months later, he was cleared by police. Uh, He was told that authorities had accessed his internet searches, location history, messages, and every photo and video he had ever stored on the cloud. After the police had reviewed Mark's personal information, they had concluded that no crime occurred. Um, Law professor Kate Klosik um, tells the Times that the parents could have potentially lost custody of the child. So even temporarily. And, you know, when children are taken from their parents, it's incredibly traumatizing to them and the parents. And then if they're placed in so-called care, that can also be dangerous for them, too. Uh, So, yeah, this brings up just how this could happen on a larger scale. Thoughts? Well, you know, my first thought is that that's a massive HIPAA violation uh, for that child and that family. You know, the picture that was Mm -hmm. sent was intended for a medical purpose. It was sent as privileged communication between a patient and a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think not even talking about, you know, the sexual nature or non-sexual nature of that photo, nobody should have been looking at that photo except the patient, patient's guardian in this case, because it was a child and the doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. So the fact that that can happen is very problematic in my opinion. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just, it concerns Mm -hmm. me that somebody is looking at, your stuff. You know, I think like for me, when I log onto my computer and when I'm sending things or when I'm sending a text or I'm putting something in my Google drive or my Dropbox or whatever, I Mm -hmm. am feeling like, oh, I'm putting this here for me. Right. Um, When in reality, there is an entity AI that is looking for all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think we are so reliant, especially post COVID on our virtual selves and these tools we use um that we forget that that what we put on these platforms is really not ours anymore you know um and so it just it makes me nervous that something like that could happen and i think the other thing is you know what happened to that father is such a massive disruption in that person's life you know and Mm -hmm. it potentially creates a situation where that child would now be part of the child welfare system, Mm -hmm. um, which we certainly do not need anybody else to be a part of that system in this country. Um, So it just creates harm where there doesn't need to be harm and creates a problem that didn't need to exist. 
Does that make sense? Agreed. And then just a good reminder. I, I also grew up hearing it referred to as child pornography. Um, but we definitely are always calling it child sexual abuse material, uh, because, you know, child pornography like implies that it was consensual and then also that it's erotic, which, you know, child sexual abuse material is neither of these things. So just a language reminder to throw out. Yeah. Um, okay. So as we wrap this episode, I want to thank you both so much for being here. And we have a couple more things. Uh, I'd like to ask us what books or resources, websites, organizations do you recommend for people who want to support sexual freedom and education? You mean other than us, of course. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it takes a village. One of my favorites is Scarletine. Mm. Mm-hmm. dot mm -hmm. Fabulous source of sex ed uh, geared toward young people. And their parents, too. And mm -hmm. their parents. It's been around forever. Mm -hmm. And they do wonderful, wonderful work. What else? Mandy, how about you? Yeah, so I would say if you are looking for a sexuality professional, um, ASECT is the licensing body in the U.S. Um, for yes. sexuality educators, therapists, and counselors. Um, that acronym is AASECT. It's the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. They mm. have a directory. Um, so if you're looking for a professional, they're a really good place to go. Um, I would also say I've been really impressed with the organization called SECUS. Uh, stands for Sexuality Information and Education mm -hmm. Council of the United States. And they have sort of a sister organization called Educate Us. Um, Educate Us is a political advocacy organization. Um, and they recently put out a toolkit of how to advocate for sex ed in your community. It's really user-friendly. It's really great. Um, it's on their website. It's also on their social media and their handle is just at educate us. Um, so I would definitely check those two resources out because mm -hmm. um, I think they're really good places if you're looking for tools um, to advocate for sexual freedom. Awesome. Thank you so much. And then Sometimes I talk to uh, content creators, sex workers. Uh, sometimes we talk more info and resources, but I do ask every guest this because sex is related to life. Do either or both of you have any sex tips for our audience? <laughs> uh, well, I would say you're never too old. Yay. That's what I would say. I love that. Along little with, lady. Yeah, along with, if it, did you just call me an old lady? I said little lady. Oh. Tips, <laughs> tips hat, choose cigar, little lady. Yes, never little lady. Old. You are never too old. And if, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good one. Um, well, I would just say that um, to remember that sexual pleasure is important and to seek it and enjoy it. And, you know, in this work, this advocacy work, this political work, we get so bogged down in the bad um, that I think we sometimes, I'm speaking for myself, forget about the good. So I would just say that make, make time for sexual pleasure in your life um, because it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Freedom fighters need pleasure. We need a lot of it just to refill our wells. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Thank you, Mandy and Ricky, so much for being here. Everybody, if you haven't already, go check out woodholefoundation.org. They are at Woodhole Freedom on all social media platforms. And I don't have anything else to say except it's on to the next organizer meeting. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you on the internet, I hope. Yes. Bye-bye. for pleasure coaching or sex education on your own private time if so visit beducated.com you can get 40 percent off by using the url code in the bottom of the notes of this episode on the app where you listen or you can click on the banner the beducated.com banner on theytalksex.com Right now, there's a special feature on vulva education, and that includes squirting and female orgasm and all kinds of other fun things like kink and anal. And I'm so glad that this is a resource because goodness knows, I wish I had time to take all of you as my own personal clients. Otherwise, go to beducated.com and you can have classes in the privacy of your own home anytime you'd like from notable sex educators around the world. There's videos and practice sheets, and don't worry, nobody can see you. It's all entirely personal and pre-recorded. So have fun. Let me know how you like it. Beducated.com.